Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18, says, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He's letting them know that, hey, when we came and preached, when we came and taught, we didn't, we didn't waver. It wasn't yes and no. And then he goes on to say, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he's who we preached. He was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, and was not yes and no, but in him was Yes. Everybody say yes. And Jesus was yes. Verse 20. Here's the verse that we are most familiar with in this passage. For all of the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. I want to read that same passage, but I want to read it from the New Living Translation. I've been reading through that version of the Bible and really have an affinity for it. 2 Corinthians 1, 18, it says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver, doesn't vacillate between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas and Timothy and I preach to you as God's ultimate Yes. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? They preached that Jesus was God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Can we give a resounding yes right now? And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, descends to God for his glory. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Today I'm wrapping up a two-part series that uh, that we're calling Hallelujah and Amen. Last week, I focused on hallelujah. Does anybody remember what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. wonder if anybody's got a hallelujah in your spirit. You have a hallelujah in your spirit through the week. Hold on to that hallelujah. Hang on to that hallelujah. Today, we're going to shift, and I want our focus to be, I want to preach about that other word, Amen. Now, before I go any further, I just said amen, but the praise singers just got finished singing amen. So the great debate is which is it? Is it amen or is it amen? So I'm probably just stirring up needless controversy, but all of you that, that it's amen, did you say amen? Can I see your hand? Uh, amen. And how about those who say amen? 
<laughs> so I, heard, I think I heard Ben's voice twice. He must say both. He wavers. He wavers. It's not like Jesus. He wavers back and forth. <laughs> but here, honestly, honestly, both are right. Amen, amen, both are right. And as a matter of fact, amen was the common pronunciation prior to the 15th century. And then amen has become the common way of saying it since then. And so for all of you who say amen, then I hate to break it to you, but I guess you're just an old soul. You're, you're uh, you know, relating to those from the 15th. I didn't say you were old. I said you're an old soul. You're relating to those of the, of the 15th century. Maybe you were born in a different, in the wrong era. But uh, amen or amen, both are, are accurate, both are right. This word, and I'm going to use amen, by the way. Uh, th- this word amen is a, is a very remarkable word. It was transliterated directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament, and then it was transliterated into the Latin and English and many other languages. And so, similar in a similar fashion to the word hallelujah, the word amen is a practically universal word. It will travel into every region of our globe and is commonly understood across languages. And so, the word amen... It's directly related. In fact, it's almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe. It's almost identical for the Hebrew word for faithful. That that Hebrew word is spelled like this, A-M-A-N, instead of E-N. It's A-M-A-N. So very, very similar, the word amen and this original Hebrew word. And because of that, the word amen has come to mean firm. It has come to, to mean sure. It's come to mean true. It is a, and it's a, an expression of absolute confidence. It's an, an expression of absolute trust in God. It is a Bible word. That's where it had its origin. It is a God word, if you will. As a matter of fact, a amen has been called the best known word in all of human speech. Do you know that? The best known word in all of human speech, and that's possibly due to the fact that amen is a very versatile word. It's a very multifaceted word. It has numerous applications. It has numerous meanings. But the most common known meaning of the word amen is so be it. So be it. Again, it's an expression of absolute confidence or trust. And if you just kind of want to boil it down and just say it very simply, amen means true. When you say amen, it's like you're shouting, true. That's the truth. So be it. Praise God. It also, we just read this a moment ago, it also means yes. When Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, the promises of God are yes and amen. And then it said in the New Living Translation, and amen means yes. In other words, you can count on it because it's true. 
You can count on God. You can count on what he said. You can count on his word. You can bank on his promises because there's an amen attached to it because it's true. The promises of God don't vacillate. The promises of God don't waver. They are yes and they are amen. When we look at the first mention of this word in the original text, it's it's Genesis 15, and so this word makes its appearance there, and we see that this word is rooted in faith, and it's there in Genesis 15 where the word is first used in the biblical text that we see the Bible says that Abraham believed. He, he, he claimed the word of God to be true. He believed it, so he said if this is true, and even though Abraham didn't have a Bible like we do, he believed the word of God. And because he believed the word of God, the Lord counted that to him as righteousness. So putting it in our context today, church, when God speaks, that's his part. Our part is to believe. Our part is to say that's true. Our part is to have faith. Our, our part, is when God speaks and we hear the word of God, our part is to affirm. So let me say it like this. When God speaks, we ought to say amen. We ought to say that is true. So be it. Because when we do that, that's where the blessing is released. The word of God, listen, you're not going to change. None of us are going to change the word of God. It's established. It's settled. It's already anointed. What you've got to make up in your mind is do you want to connect yourself to it? Do you want to attach yourself to what's true? Do you want to attach yourself to what's eternal? Do you want to identify with the word of God? If you do, when the, when the word of God is spoken, the way you reach out and grab a hold of it is by saying, amen. Hallelujah. And that's when it becomes real for you. That's where the blessing is released. Listen, you can hear truth all day long, but until you embrace truth, truth won't do anything for you. Until you say, I'm adopting that. I'm clinging to that. I'm holding on to that. I believe, I affirm that. Until you do that, it's not going to benefit you very much. Hallelujah. In the Hebrew, that word, it actually means be it done unto me. So when the word of God is being taught or the word of God is being preached and somebody shouts out, amen, what they're saying is, hey, I want that. I, I, I claim that. I believe that's true and I desire that. So be it done unto me. And that's exactly what Abraham was saying. And that's why we ought to say amen when the word of God is taught or preached because when we express faith in what the Lord said, we are claiming it for ourselves. We are claiming it for our families. We're claiming it for our church. We're saying, hey, I hear what's being said and I believe it and I think it's true. So, so be it. Be it done unto me According to the word of God. Oh, I think somebody ought to shout amen right now. Amen. A well-known preacher, he'll make a point sometimes, and then after he makes his point, he'll say, somebody ought to put an amen on that. 
Somebody ought to, you ought to attach. And you, there, there's this blessing. There's this promise from God. There's this truth from the word. Somebody better reach up and get it. Somebody ought to put, a, put an amen on that because when a promise from God is declared across this pulpit, you can either claim it or you can let it fall to the ground. Well, I don't know about you, but I need every promise from the word of God. I need every Rima word, amen. I need every bit of the Logos. I, I, I need it. I desire it. I've got to have it. It's my firm foundation. So when I hear the truth being spoken, when I hear the word of God going forth, I'm going to reach up and get a hold of it. So be it unto me, amen, amen. Come on, this isn't just an idle word. Amen is not just a filler word. Rather, it's a response of faith to the truth of God's word. Clap your hands to him right now. In the New Testament, the word amen is often translated as the word verily. A lot of you that, that grew up with the King James like I did, you will recognize that word. Those of you who, who maybe that's your preferred translation, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize that. And so many times it's the word verily, but it's the same word as amen. And then if you go to some of the more modern versions, it will be truly, truly instead of verily, or, or maybe it will be assuredly instead of verily. In fact, I'm, I'm going to use the King James here a little bit, but that, that's the way that Jesus most often used it. I believe there's 51 times in the New Testament that, that you find amen, and I think there's like another 101 where you find the word in the original, but it's translated as verily or, or, or truly or assuredly uh, in, in other places there. And so th this is the way Jesus used it most often. We can find that in Matthew 17 and 20 where it says this, and Jesus said, unto them. He said, because of your unbelief for verily, right? I don't know if we have these today, but if we can put them up, verily. In other words, you know, another version would say truly or, or assuredly. And what they're meaning by that is this is a true statement. Okay? So Jesus is saying, because of your unbelief for Truly, I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. He's saying, hey, pay attention. This is true. I'm getting ready to say something that you can hold on to. Then he goes on in Matthew 18 and 3, and here's what it says there. And said this, verily, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Once again, Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention. This is a true word. Verily, you gotta be like a child. You've gotta have childlike faith if you're gonna be right with me. Matthew 18 and 18, it begins with that word. Verily, 
I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's saying, look, I want you to know a truth here today, and that's that as my people, you have power. As my people, you have authority, and you can say, hey, this is something you can bank on. This is something you can believe. This is something you can have faith in, that as children of God, this is true. There's some things you don't have to put up with. There's some things that you can bind and you can send them back to where they came from. And in its place, he said, I'm going to tell you a truth. There's also some things that you can loose. If you want peace in your family, why don't you get a hold of God and lose some peace? If you want some joy in your life, why don't you begin speaking that? Verily. Amen. This is true. This can happen. This is for you. Then in John 3, verse number 3, Jesus answered and said to them, and I want you to pay attention to this one, said, verily, verily. He said it twice here. In the previous times, he just said verily once, but he's saying, hey, you know, this is really important. Not only is this true, but this is really important. He's wanting to get our attention. He's wanting to let us know, pay special attention to this truth. Verily, verily. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on to this, say this, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot enter. Go, go back to verse three. Go back to verse three real quick. Lest a man be born again of water, excuse me, lest a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Saying that it's not possible. If you, if, you want, if you want to make your way in, if you want to enter in, if you want to be saved, then, then, then you've got to be born again. So he's saying, verily, verily, pay attention. This is truth. This, this is important. So you need to know this. If you want to be saved, you, you can't just make up your own way. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, there's a way to go about it. And you've got to be born again. And this whole encounter is going on with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, what, what do you mean? My mom's not going to be real happy about this. I'm a grown man now. No, no, no. That's the physical. That's the physical birth. But there's another birth. And it's a spiritual birth. And about that spiritual birth, Jesus is saying, hey, don't miss this. This is true. Pay attention to this. Verily, verily. Amen, amen. If you want to be saved, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Listen, he skipped using it in verse number four, but then again in verse number five, John three and five, Nicodemus asked him a question. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered. We can put verse five up there now if we have it. Jesus answered, verily, verily. Again, the double verse, the, the, the double usage. Pay attention. This is true. This is right. This is accurate. This is important. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Once again, I want you to know what preceded that. It wasn't just one verily. It wasn't just one amen, but it was a double amen. 
Pay attention. This is a true word. If you want to be saved, you've got to be born of the water. You've got to have the name of Jesus called over you in the waters of baptism. If you want to be right with the Lord, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to have a spiritual birth. That's what the Word of God tells us. That's what Jesus spoke to us. And when he said that, when he was speaking about that, he said, verily, verily. John 8 and 58 Here's another another double usage. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Why do you think he used the double verily on that one? Well, why, why do you think he used that double amen on that one? Because I'll tell you something. Understanding the identity of who Jesus is matters. Understanding that Jesus isn't Jehovah Junior matters. Understanding that he's not just a third person in a trinity matters, but he is God. As a matter of fact, the book of Colossians says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Hallelujah. So he's saying, hey, this is true. This is important. This matters. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham, who your father is, before he existed, I am. That I am of the Old Testament. That's who I am. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. John 14 and 12 Here we go again, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I shall do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Listen, I think it's so incredible that when it came to talking about you and I and our role in his work and our role in his kingdom, I love that when he talked about us and the ministry that he wants us to step into, he didn't just use one amen or one verily, but he said it twice this is true this matters pay attention get a hold of this if you'll let me I'm gonna do great things through you I'm gonna pour my spirit out through you amen amen as a response and church service has it's been around as long as church itself as a matter of fact, it came directly, this, this whole practice of saying amen, it came about directly from the Old Testament. It originated in Jewish worship. It's evident in the Word of God or any time where the people assembled and they gathered together to hear the reading of the Word of God. They would sit there and the man or the, the, the priest would read or the, or the prophet would read. And then when they were finished, when the prophet, when the reading was over, they would, they would, they would shout, amen. They were affirming. This is true. We want it. So be it unto me. We find one of those occurrences in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse number 6, where it says, And Ezra, the prophet Ezra, blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people, they answered. How do they answer? By saying, Amen, Amen while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then we also read in Psalm 106 and 48, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say, praise the Lord. 
You see, amen agrees with God. When you say amen, you're agreeing with the preacher. When you say amen, you're agreeing with the message. You're agreeing with the music. You're agreeing with what the Spirit is doing amongst us. Listen, when you agree, it all it should always elicit an emphatic yes from us. There should come an amen that erupts from inside of us. This word amen, it's so powerful that according to Revelation 3 and 14, this, this, this word is even a title for Jesus Christ himself. Here's what it says at the end of verse 14. These things says the amen. This is what the amen says. Well, who is that amen? The faithful, the true witness the beginning of the creation of God. Hear me today, because Jesus Christ is faithful and because he is true, he can take for himself the title. He can take for himself the name. I am the amen. I am the fulfillment of every promise because the promises of God, they are yes and they are amen in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 1.20 when he said, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. The New Living Translation, it says it like this, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. The message, which is a paraphrase, not a translation, a paraphrase, I don't use it a whole lot, but the message of that same passage says it like this, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. I hope you're beginning to get the image here today. I hope you can begin to, to see where I'm going. Whatever God says gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. Church, God's word is always faithful. God's word is always true because he is none other than the creator of all things. Jesus is our eternal amen. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible, this thing that starts in Genesis, right? 66 books, right? And then we've got the New Testament here. This thing that begins way over there, you want to know it begins within the beginning. But you want to know how this book ends? It ends with amen in Revelation 22 and 21. You know what that tells me? Amen is God's last word on his word. Everything that's been said, everything that's been spoken, everything that's been prophesied before, it's true. It's faithful. It's right. Praise God. Amen is God's final word on his word, assuring every one of us, everyone who reads that whole entire book, that it is trustworthy. It is true. Amen. Praise God. Of all the words in the English language, there are few that are more beautiful than the word yes. Anybody like to hear yes? You like to hear that word? When your children are young, your children are playing, they'll say, 
Mommy, Daddy, if I jump, will you catch me? And what they want to hear is yes. And then they're not just going to do it once, but again, 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 right? But you know, we adults, we ask similar questions of God. We ask similar questions of others. We ask things like, will you be there for me? Will you help me in my time of need? We ask questions like, will you forgive me? Right? If you hadn't been asking that one, you need to learn to. Will you forgive me? Will you give me another chance? And church, isn't it a beautiful thing when the answer to those questions is a resounding yes? Yes. I talked to to the church here a couple months ago. We we did this for our our girls' graduation. We had two graduates this year, and we went on a trip to to, to Italy, and one of the places we visited was Rome, and we stayed near the Trevi Fountain, and it's just this beautiful fountain. You've probably seen pictures or video of it before, but, I mean, it's it's this romantic site, and, you know, at night they've got it all lit up, and it's just beautiful. And so because it's this, this beautiful romantic site, naturally there are many marriage proposals that take place at Trevi Fountain in Rome. As a matter of fact, I witnessed three proposals in a very short period of time. We all saw one in the family. Then I went out, you know, uh, to, to get something, and, and I texted him, hey, somebody else just proposed. <laughs> you all missed it. I got to see it. Somebody else just proposed. You know, but there, there's people everywhere. I mean, there's this crowd of people are flocking in. It's one of the top tourist attractions in all of Rome, and there's people everywhere, and it's this beautiful, romantic place. And so people think, hey, you know what? I'm going to propose there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my, 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 my girlfriend to marry me there. And the only downside is that it's crowded and very, very public, which means that if you get a no, Quite embarrassing. It's like those guys, you know, they're, they, they go and, you know, they, they you know, go to the ball game. They go to the sporting event and they somehow finagle their way to, to get, you know, will you marry me put up on the jumbotron or, or that person that goes out and hires that airplane so that skyrider can go up in the sky, you know, hey, Jane, will you marry me? It's great if the answer is yes. It's awesome. It's memorable. If she says yes, but not so much if the answer is no, right? And yet many people, either because of negative life experiences or just because they don't know what the word of God has to say, many people think of God as one great big no. When they think about him, when they think of, of what he means, when they think about what God's all about, that, that's the word that is in their mind more so than a yes. They think of him as a no. It's as if they picture God leaning over the balcony of heaven saying, no, don't do that. Stop that. What are you thinking? Are you crazy? You know, I don't want you to have any fun. I, I just want you to be miserable. No, no, don't ask me that because the answer is no. Many people, that's the way they see God. Unfortunately, that's the way that they see the church as well. No, 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 no. But can I tell you, that is absolutely not the message of the Bible. 
That's not the message of the word of God at all because we just read it a moment ago. Christianity is not one big no, but because Jesus, we have Jesus. He's the fulfillment of every prophecy. Jesus is our divine yes. Praise God. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and Christian leader, coined a phrase he called the divine humility. The divine humility. Let me kind of set it up like this. What, what, if, what if somebody entered into a relationship with you and they're trying to, trying to be your friend and here's how they went about trying to establish a friendship with you. They said, you know what, I, I want to be friends. Let, let's be friends and I want to be your friend unless something or someone better comes along. Or how about this, in a different context. Hey, yes, I would love to get married to you and stay married to you unless I meet someone else. You know what most of us would say to that kind of a proposition? See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. No. But when it comes to the Lord, how many of our testimonies are, you know what, I searched high and low. I tried this and I experimented with that and I tried that thing and I tried the other thing. But then when I finally got finished trying everything else, when I got to my lowest point, when I finally got to that desperate place, then I called out to the Lord. How many of our testimonies are, are, are familiar with that today or are like that? But listen, that's the divine humility that C.S. Lewis was talking about because here's the truth is that God waits for us and God will come running to us. Even if we are, he is our last resort, he still comes running. He still says yes. Even when we look the world over, before we thought to look to him. But that's just who he is. That's just who Jesus is, the, the humble one, the lowly, the meek one. He came into the world. He, came, he was born in a manger, placed in a, in, a, in a manger inside of a stable, sending us a message, hey, I'm lowly. I'm humble. I'm meek. And if you don't call on me until you're at the end of your rope, it's okay. Because I'm still going to have a yes for you. I'm still going to say yes. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. All the word of God, every promise in the book, I'm not going to withhold them. But now, when you're ready to walk with me, when you're ready to know me, now all of that that I've said, all of that that backs me up, it's now yours. I say yes to you. Think about that. What an amazing God. We put him last. He still says yes. We neglect him for years and years. And he still says yes. I'll make you my own. I'll adopt you as a son. I'll adopt you as a daughter. I want you to know today that what God told Joshua in the Old Testament, God told him and said, hey, I'll be with you wherever you go. That's a promise. I'll be with you. Well, I want you to know that in Jesus, that promise is a great big yes for us as well. He'll be with you. 
When God said to Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Well, I want you to know that that same promise that God made to Jeremiah, that through Jesus Christ, that promise is a yes for us as well. He has our best interests in mind. He wants only the best for us today. Praise God, because Jesus is the sum total of God's promises. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.